Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one click summaries or find exactly what you need when you need it with an AI supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day -day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We are at this place where people feel like they're at the end of a marathon and we're basically saying like, okay, well you won this race, which gave you the right to participate in a new race. And right. they're like, no thanks. In a new marathon. Let's well, go that's night what you night. won. You know, exactly. exactly. The pie eating contest where the prize is more pie. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my New Year co-host, Rodney Evans. New Year. New us? Same us? Yeah. I don't new know. Luke. Happy New Year, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> We're also joined today by Sheila Subramanian, a friend of the pod, co-founder of the Slack-based consortium Future Forum, and co-author of the awesome best-selling book, How the Future Works. Sheila, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thanks so much, Rodney. Happy New Year. It's great to be here. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what the world of work may look like this year, which is a question on a lot of people's minds, I would imagine, as we just get back from work. But before we explore that, let's check in. Let's check in. I'm very excited. This is our first future casting episode, and I'm excited mm. to drag out the old crystal ball. So in a related check-in question, I would like to hear what each of your views is on resolutions. Just like, you know, what's your hot take on resolutions? Yeah. Let's start with Sheila and then Aaron, and then I'll finish it off. Okay. Yes. I am a big fan of resolutions. I actually usually do resolutions around my birthday, which is the end of November. And these past few years, I have repositioned them from resolutions to aspirations mm. of things that I want to do to make my life fuller. I've noticed over the last couple of years that, you know, the balance of my life has changed among the many others. And so there's a lot of aspirations in terms of how I want to live my life and where I want to invest outside of work every single day. Nice. That's awesome. I have mixed feelings about resolutions. As a human being, I like to do them. I'm definitely the kind of person that like makes plans and has ideas and grand aspirations at the beginning of the year. And some of them stick and some of them don't. So I definitely play the game of resolution making. I think I just think it's fun and it feels refreshing. I think that I'm a little bit perturbed by the science because on the one hand, there's a lot of evidence that we don't stick with it, that human beings are not generally very good at it. And at the same time, there's evidence that change is best when there is a mile marker where there's a new you and an old you, and there's an identity shift that can happen based on some milestone or mile marker. So in, in that way, it is useful, I think, to have like a jumping off point of I'm this way now because I've crossed this bridge or this threshold. So I don't know. I'm going to keep having fun with them. I'm not super hard on myself when I screw them up and I enjoy going back, stepping back up to the table with new ideas of how I'm going to be amazing in the future. And then, you know, sometimes helping and sometimes missing. So yeah. Nice. What about you? I've really come full circle on resolutions. So I used to be in my old life when I was like, not a very 
nice or self-actualized person, I loved resolutions because I was like, let's muscle through something, whether we like it or not. You know, I was just like, let's achieve things as our identity, you know? Uh, so I used to be like a big fan because a lot of my resolutions felt very, um, they were very extrinsic. It was very like, this will be the year that I like have this title or buy this thing mm. or make this amount or whatever. And then obviously, you know, a, a lot of things changed and I changed really significantly. And then I hated them. And all I did was drag <laughs> resolutions. And I was like, this is like the dumbest trapping of aspirational capitalist society, death to resolution. And now I've really come back to them for many of the reasons that both of you have elucidated. But I have found that for me, resolutions are better cast as intentions, like what I intend to do or be or think or have this year. And I am only interested in positive resolutions. Mm. So like I do not buy into punitive resolutions that are like, I am going to stop this or deprive myself of this or whatever. I am only interested in resolutions that are like, like for me, for example, I love playing music. I don't always prioritize making time for playing music. And so an intention for me this year is like more hours every day or every week dedicated to that versus like fewer carbs, which I just think is a bullshit resolution that I'm not interested in. So only positive resolutions for me, but I'm back on the resolution train generally. I like the subtlety and welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay. Well, now that we're resolved, let's dig into today's topic, which is hopes, dreams, predictions for work in 2023, maybe even some intentions. And so I guess I want to start by asking you, Sheila, if we looked backwards and had to briefly sum up work in 2022, what would you say? What themes, surprises, stories stand out to you? Yes. I feel like the conversation has changed dramatically over the last year. So speaking of resolution, I looked at my calendar for January of last year, just out of curiosity of like what I was working on and and how I'd grown over the last year. And one area that I focused a lot of time on was speaking to people, to executives about inclusion, about the experience of individuals that didn't look like them within the workplace, about code switching. And what I saw was that there was just so much more appetite to have conversations of how to make work work better for all types of employees. And the discomfort level that was around some of these topics that I saw in 2020 and 2021, while they're not completely eroded, like the discomfort level had declined. Um, People were more open to having conversations that, okay, like what has your experience at work been like? And how do we make it better for working parents, for employees of color, for employees with disabilities? Um, So I think that we made a lot of progress on that front. Aaron, I'm sort of curious to hear your answer to that same question. Like when you look back on 2022, what are some of your hottest takes? I feel like in multiple directions, 2022 was the year of enough is enough. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of burnout and a lot of returning to the mean or returning to values or returning to principles in multiple directions. Like certainly there are, you know, there was like the wave after the great resignation of people just quiet quitting and the other things we've talked about on this show over the last year. But there were also people returning to other like platforms and stances, like what Elon started with Twitter and cutting the staff aggressively and other CEOs taking the bait and doing the same thing. There were a lot of people kind of returning to like hustle culture, brutal capitalism as their main Mm -hmm. mainstay. So it just felt like everybody was like, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it felt like everybody was like, enough with whatever's going on. I'm either going to yeah. like, I'm yeah. either going to change it or I'm going to return to something that was more comfortable for me, but I'm not staying where I am. So I'm either going back or I'm going forward, but I'm not staying here. It was sort of the tone of the year to me. Yeah. To, to that point, I think there's a tension between returning and maybe even redesigning our lives, redesigning yeah. what work looked like for us. But there's also the pull to your point about returning back to 2019. Like, let's get back <laughs> yeah. to work, people. And there is that tension of like, what have we been doing these last three years? We have been working. Um, right. And I think that we saw that tension play out in many different industries, different companies. Uh, but an overarching theme was that people wanted more choice in how they live their lives and how they worked. And flexibility has become a conversation around choice rather than just where you work. Yeah. I don't think I've told this story on this show, but we have a house in Virginia, which is where I am recording from today. And I got my vaccinations up here because the wait in Durham was forever and up here, not as much largely because politically there's, it's a very different composition up here. And there are fewer people (laughs) who wanted vaccinations. Anyway, my point in telling this story is that I got my vaccine like in a parking lot, like a very well-organized parking lot with tents and volunteers and clipboards. And they had a really good, I mean, as an org designer, I was like very impressed with the system that they had put (laughs) together. But I remember sitting in my car during the waiting period after my vaccine and like looking around at what was happening and being like, you know, I never would have thought that I would be in a parking lot in rural Virginia getting injected by a stranger in a tent. And yet yeah. here we are. Yeah. And I, I use that as an example because I feel like the pandemic and then, you know, certainly into this year was a time where like a lot of us just started questioning the mm-hmm. way that things have always been done and being yes. like, why is it that way? Does it need to be that way? And certainly all three of us have like made our careers on questioning the way that things have been done. But I feel like that tendency and that trend sort of became everywhere where it was like, yes. where do we have to work? How much do we have to listen to bosses? Like how much <laughs> bullshit is the minimum wage? And to your point, Sheila, about inclusion, Aaron, to like to your point too, like about people just sort of choosing a position. I feel like when I look back on this year, this was the year that the veil kind of got pierced. And whether you're talking about political systems or economic systems or work systems, a lot more people seem to just stop and go like, you know what? I'm not sure I'm buying this. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think like, I have not lived through a year like that before where it felt like writ large civilization was questioning its assumptions about civilization. Yeah, we like reverted back to being two-year-olds and asking why for everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Why, though? It's about time. Exactly. It's about time. <laughs> we didn't start asking why more. So I guess, I guess where this conversation is leading me is a question about whether we're closer to where we want to go. Because I think on this show for a couple of years now, a few years now, we've been talking about this other way of working that's more human, it's more adaptive, it's more fulfilling. Do we think work feels any closer to leaving some of the broken and out of date practices and principles behind as we move into 2023? Has something shifted in the asking questions that you all were just talking about that now is going to actually make a difference? Or do we feel like we're going to end up getting back into the grind and putting our heads down? I feel like we've made, we for every two steps we move forward, there's always one back. And I mm-hmm. think that this past year, it was also just a tension of what a good leader looked like. Because yep. we saw a lot of leaders lionized, celebrated. Um, Elon Musk could be one, but we saw a lot of leaders 
who are taking the command and control approach celebrate. Yep. And yeah. often they're criticized as well. And we also saw increased expectation among employees for the leader who was more transparent and who could be trustworthy. And so I think this past year really showed the tension between the old Jack Welch ways of leading, <laughs> the command and control, and what people want now, where they want to be treated like adults. They want to be treated like humans rather than being treated like resources. And I think that this coming year is going to be that continued transition of what a leader feels like they need to be versus what their employees expect of them and reconciling what that looks like in this new way of working. It's interesting the way that the question was phrased because it lumps practices and principles together in terms mm. of what is out of date. And I think to me, the the principles and what is desired, Sheila, to your point, like I think have become a lot clearer more broadly. So I do feel like it is much more common than it was even 12 months ago to see it being acceptable that frontline workers want to be treated like human beings or (laughs) to see that remote work or hybrid work policy is not something that is completely temporary or to see that like there is an expectation of transparency from leaders or whatever. So I feel like underneath all of those things are principles that are becoming more like principles that five years ago, when we talked about them, people were like, that's radical. You guys are hippies. That's never going to happen. And now I feel like those principles are sort of in the, they're in the air. What I don't think has been left behind though, from what I see in the world is much in terms of the practices. Mm -hmm. So I hear a lot more lip service around adaptive practices and employee choice and humane work environments, et cetera. And then we see the same kinds of layoffs, the same kinds of compensation structures, the same kinds of union busting, like the same kinds of work practices in a lot of places that we have always seen. And I, I mean, I'm curious y'all's take on this, but like, I mostly chalk that up to inexperience and like sort of Mm -hmm. immaturity in new ways of working more than malice or refusal or stubbornness or anything else. I just sort of think like the moves haven't caught up with the beat yet is, is kind of how I see that. I feel like there's actually a, an interesting conundrum underneath what you're talking about, which is my main hesitation about answering this question optimistically. Normally, I'm the rah, rah, rah guy. <laughs> but I think the disconnect is we do have a little bit of a principal awareness and there is a want, there is a desire for work to be better, I think, that is broad and is shared. And at the same time, we know that working in a roundabout, working in a self-managing system, working in a system that upholds some of those principles does require energy. Yeah. And that's the one mm. thing we is in pretty short supply right now. Yeah. So we have a lot of people that are burned out and that are kind of just over it from so many years of hustle and mistreatment. And now we're like, cool, in order to play the game that you want, it's almost like someone has gone to a ski resort and we're like, hey, what do you want to do? And they're like, I want to ski black diamonds. And we're like, cool, but you don't know how and you're real tired. So now what do you do? And I do feel like we're a little bit in that place where we're going to have to find ways to recapture energy in order to step into the practice side of the story. And sometimes that can be through the experiments themselves. But I just feel like that's a gap that is in the way. Yeah. Uh, What we have seen quarter over quarter is that executives have 20% worse work-life balance and 40% more stress and anxiety. And they're less satisfied with their working environment because this change is hard. And I think in many ways, 
there's been a failure to recognize that we're in the middle of this experiment. Yep. And instead, it's like, what are you doing? What is your policy? Are you bringing people back? Like, have you figured it all out? And there needs to be this coming together of, we're in this middle of this, this experiment. This is really hard. Change is hard. You're being asked to do things that you were not trained to do. And then now's the time to take a more experimental mindset and admit that you don't know everything and you don't have to know all the answers and admit um, that you need the help of your employees. And asking executives to do all this change in terms of how they have been trained to lead to now how they're expected to lead amidst all the uncertainty around us, it's a tall order. I think we're seeing that play out in terms of their overall sentiment and their overall experience in their jobs because we're hearing a lot from employees as a result. <laughs> totally. It's so funny because the example that sprung to mind as you were both talking is actually incredibly related to what both of you said. I was talking to an exec not that long ago, and she was in a conversation with her leadership team about remote work policy. And basically, like most of the leaders that we know, they have come to a point in the policy making circus where it's like, everybody just figure it out for your function. <laughs> basically, they're like, we yeah. give up, you yes. know? which like, honestly, like they should have given up three years ago, but here we are. And so this particular leader was basically saying to her team, like, okay, we've finally sort of <laughs> earned the space to experiment and figure out what our way of working around, you know, in office presence is going to be or should be or whatever. So like, let's, you know, let's go. And her team who I know, and is wonderful and is very experienced in experimental ways of working was basically like, we are tired. Just tell us, like, yeah. just tell us what to do. Like, we don't want to run any more experiments. Like the last three years has been just like failed experiments. Uh, no, like, no, thank you. No, thank you to experiments. And so I just think it's an interesting moment where to both of your points, like that's exactly what's needed. And also we are at this place where people feel like they're at the end of a marathon and we're basically saying like, okay, well you won this race, which gave you the right to participate in a new race. And they're like, no thanks. In a new marathon. That's what you won. You know, exactly. The pie eating contest where the prize is more pie. Uh, So yeah, I just think it's a weird moment like that. That is so true. So true. I am curious. We've talked a little bit about leaders. I am curious sort of about the folks who are not necessarily managing, like from a more individual contributor perspective. Sheila, what are you seeing and hearing in terms of what people like want to lean into? Like, yeah, I feel like a lot of us spend more time talking to managers and leaders, but like where are the individual contributors at, do you think, in terms of 2023 and their intentions? Yes, I think 2023 is a year where we explore what connection and culture truly looks like within an organization. What mm. we saw a lot of in 2022 was that leaders were saying, hey, we need everyone to return back to how things used to be because we need to preserve our company culture. Yeah. But what we can see from our data is that those who work flexibly are 52% more likely to say that their culture has improved over the past two years. Is that right? That yes. is mind-blowing. What's fascinating there is that flexible work policies are the number one factor behind that improvement. And it's huh. one of those things where people are like, well, how does that work? If you're working flexibly, how do you build culture? Yes. Well, let's define culture. Culture is how you work together, how you interact with one another. And it's also based on the values and the principles that you put forward as an organization. And it's trust is a big piece of how you work together because you're able to work flexibly. You have more choice in how you work. Then you're going to feel better about 
your culture as an organization. And so what we, we see is that a lot of the myths around, let's bring back everyone into the office five days a week to build culture. They're actually completely busted when we actually look at like the dynamics behind it. And those who feel like they're trusted, those who feel like they're treated like grownups, they're the ones who are the most engaged and happiest within their organization. So interesting. It's especially interesting in light of how much back to work, air quotes, mm-hmm. pressure and announcements we experienced this last year. Yes. Where it was nonstop. The drumbeat was like, we're bringing everybody back. If you're not going to come back, you're fired. And the data is not there. Yep. 38% of execs prefer to work in the office three to four days a week. And about 24% of non-execs prefer to work in the office. So there is that Sweet. Let's That's all do it then. big yeah. Gap. I have some not very generous assumptions about what are behind those numbers. But Sheila, you actually know what the data is. Why is that? It's back to what we were talking about before in terms of what one knows and is familiar with mm-hmm. and wanting to return back to how things were. And an additional twist in the plot is something I call the focus group of one. And what we see from the data is that two-thirds of executives are not including their broader employee base in their future of work planning. So they're not asking their employees what they think. They're not necessarily building that task force. They're talking to themselves. They're talking to their close group of executives and they're making decisions based on a very small sample rather than actually building that two-way rapport with their employees. And that's creating uh, the disconnect that we've been seeing over the last year. Here's my not very kind hot take. There's a real drumbeat from a lot of the non-leadership level that they are coming into the office voluntarily, but anecdotally, they don't feel as productive in the yeah. office. And so they're, they're, they're really missing that like maker time and that heads down time because they now feel like after a couple of days in the office, they're behind mm-hmm. from the pace that they've been keeping being fully remote over the last couple of weeks. And so I can't help but surmise that the executives who love being in the office might be the ones who are slowing down the feeling of productivity of those who feel like they have work to do by having informal meetings, having informal chats, doing a lot of like influencing, doing, you know, rapport building. And like, I don't want to say that those things are not valuable because I do think that they are to a point. And I think that there are far too many executives for whom that is their, like most of their role is about talking to people and judging other people's work and traffic copying work and things like that rather than like doing work. And so I do think there's this like interesting tension right now between the people who have gotten used to not having like politicking and informal nonsense be part of their job and really liking that and now feeling like a little bit drawn back into a web where they're like, ugh, do I have to like chat with Randy in the break room about how I'm feeling about our team's culture right now? Oh, Randy. Yeah. No, I I sympathize with that. And there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. One thing that we have been studying over the last two years is uh, those who want to go back into the office periodically, what are their primary motivations? And what we consistently see is that the leading um, reasons for going to the office are around building trust and connection. They're around collaboration, building camaraderie, facilitating in-person moments. But what's fascinating to see as we want to dig deeper with this disconnect between executives and employees is that building camaraderie is dead last for the C-suite when it comes to primary motivators um, and bringing people into the office. So the employees are saying, I want to go back in because I want to get to know yeah. Where I want to get to know this person that's new to our team. But building that team culture, building that camaraderie is not actually a priority for the executives that we've surveyed. What is their priority? 
a big part knowing, knowing is, all the things surveillance yeah, how things um getting FaceTime in with management yeah. as well as basically being able to see that people are in, are in the office and getting their work done uh, surveillance um, got it surveillance yeah. the communication <laughs> part yeah it's it's so funny because i feel like for that perspective there's this belief that if i can't see people and touch them then they're not working and that's obviously not something that we support here but then there's this other side of it, which I think you hinted at, which is like being together has a value. And I know the ready and murmur both retreat aggressively. And we spend a lot of time and a lot of money making sure that we come together and are in person a few times a year. And what I've decided is that basically being in person is like chocolate cake. Yes. Like it is so good the first few bites. And then if you eat it all the time, it's kind of gross. And so it's like, you need, you know, you just every once in a while you want it and you need it and you should have it. And like, if you want to get together and do a hackathon for a week, that's going to be the most productive hackathon. It's going to be way better than doing it remotely. But if you stay, the diminishing returns come fast and furious. So I think somehow we've avoided the ability to understand that. And everyone thinks it's a binary choice of like, we're either back in the office or we're remote forever and we'll never see each other. And I, I do believe in this middle ground. Exactly. Going digital first, being flexible does not mean you're never in person. It's actually <laughs> even more important to be in person. But to your point, like keep it predictable, keep it regular, but it doesn't have to be every single day to show that you're working. Yeah. Yeah. To go really like so far off script for a minute, but there's something that I've been <laughs> thinking about a lot lately. <laughs> I've had a lot of time to myself lately. And so, you know, this is what happens. I've been thinking a lot lately about how many practices that any of us do, both in work, but also in life. It is really difficult if you are like learning something to see mm. the immediate correlation between that practice and the outcome. And so like, you know, this is a very dumb example, but many of you know, because you listen to our podcast every week that I am super into swimming and I really have been practicing now for like six months. And now I have all of these drills that I do. And a lot of the drills when I'm doing them, I'm like, this is fucking stupid. I don't know why I am holding my breath for two lengths of this pool, but I'm getting like really good at swimming. And so something about these drills is working. I am saying this because I feel like there is a trend that I sort of am seeing through this conversation, which is before we all went home in a pandemic, when we just like sat in meetings all day and returned emails and we did a lot of bullshit work in bullshit jobs, we were like, that's the job. And we weren't really considering it too, too carefully. And then for a lot of folks, anecdotally, after they got sent home, there became like a lot more focus on the things that felt more tangible, on things that mm -hmm. felt more like shipping and writing and creating and doing because the dynamic just shifted. And now there's like a little bit of a backlash where people are coming into the office and feeling like, oh, this time isn't productive, but actually like those connections and those collaborative sessions and those random encounters that you have are like the drills, like they're creating the connective tissue that is really valuable and is really necessary, but it's not as obvious as when you sit at home and like ship a bunch of code or like write an article or like make a podcast. And so I don't know, I guess I just wanted to like throw that into the stew and see how that lands with you both. Yes. Yeah. I think that's an additional bullet point in like a leader's job description these days is to say, hey, I want people to come back into the office. This is the reason why. And, mm -hmm. and so there's a there's a company that we work with and they're having certain teams come back twice a week 
wants to get to know each other better, to have lunch together. That's how to extend yeah. lunch. And then the second is to um, build relationships outside of your team with your cross-functional partners. And mm-hmm. like get, get a better relationship going with recruiting or with your sales team or with your business development partners. But they're really intentional about how they're structuring the day. And they're not structuring around the nine to five. They're structuring around blocks of time where people are coming together to achieve. Um, mm-hmm. And by answering that why and getting really specific as to what they're hoping people will get out of it, they've seen a lot less pushback among employees mm. because people are seeing the value of, of getting together. And they're also That's saying, do really your cool. focus work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and put on your in the office message on Tuesday and Thursday so people aren't expecting you to respond to them quickly. <laughs> I love that. And out of curiosity, because like, I think that's really, really smart and cool. And I love the why. Are you seeing that company or others that you're working with, Sheila, then providing some practices or some facilitation or some something to actually help people form those connections? I've been in this situation where it's like, go create a good relationship with recruiting. And not everyone like actually knows how to do that. <laughs> and so I'm curious if you're seeing Most any don't. like support for teams who are coming back to the office after like being in our pajamas on Zoom, being told to go like form bonds. Are you seeing anything that's working in terms of the how of that? They're encouraging teams to share their best practices with one another. They have a Slack panel and they basically are discussing, these are ways in which we are coming together beyond getting lunch together or beyond Mm -hmm. getting this this offsite together. And they're seeing that that exchange of information between managers is actually helping the middle manager experience as well, because over the last two years, what we've seen is that most middle managers have felt extremely isolated. They felt very much burnt down. Um, Our recent research shows that 43% of middle managers experience burnout. So by exchanging that information amongst themselves, they're building that community of managers who can help one another out whenever they need. So that's one area that they've explored. And then they are also providing budget and funding to help build that relationship. They're saying, all right, like, you have a lunch budget or you have an offsite budget um, so that you can come together and get to know each other a little bit. So those contracts do help, but then they're leaving it to the manager to figure out what works best with our team. I love that. Very cool. So I feel like this episode was supposed to be about the future. So, you know, <laughs> let's do that. Uh, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about uh, what might be happening in 2023. I want to hear from both of you. What are some of the work-related trends that you anticipate hearing more about? I'd love to hear like also which ones you're excited about and which ones you could frankly live without. Yeah. What's coming in 2023? Sheila, why don't you start? And then Aaron, my favorite future caster, you go next. (laughs) (laughs) So what is coming in 2023? I would say that the first element that we're going to continue to talk about is burnout and mental health among employees. Um, mm. We have experienced such discontinuity over the last few years. And while it's been refreshing to see that there's been dialogue around it, there's going to be increased investment in terms of providing more choice to employees and also making sure that their voices are heard. What we're also going to see is that the conversation around flexibility is going to continue to be more around choice. We've written a book, Mm. How the Future Works, about flexibility beyond where you're located, but also when you work. And what I'm predicting is that this is the year where we're continuing to see the nine to five as a construct continue to get chipped away at. And more employees are going to 
ask for and get flexibility in when they work. I would say that an area that we need to continue to watch in 2023 is the tension between command and control and trust and transparency. What employees want is to be led with trust and transparency, but given economic uncertainty, given um, that a lot of executives want to return back to how things used to be, we will see push towards command and control. My prediction is that those leaders who lean into the discontinuity, embrace this new way of leadership, they're actually going to come out more successful and the organizations are going to be more successful by the end of the year. And then I would say last but not least, we're going to continue to have the conversation around like how work is broken. And, <laughs> and we're going to continue to hear the voices from all different types of employees. I'm pushing back on, on returning back to happiness. Nice. Yeah, That's I don't great. think that conversation will be over anytime soon. I have four trends or predictions here that I think are going to come to roost in 2023. One is I think we're going to see a continuation of this leaning out and more profit-oriented operating system because the way the capital markets have shifted is going to necessitate it. So I think you're going to see people looking at like, how can we do more with less? How can we have a leaner team? How can we be sharper? And I think that'll play out in an attitude that combines with the burnout of like, how can we do fewer things done better? Right? How do we have fewer tools that we use better and more fully? How do we have a few practices that we really crush? And the stuff that we're just like half-assing or not doing or that's like too experimental, how do we put it away? So I, I suspect a little bit more of like digging in on a few things that are working. I do think 2023 will be the year of like who's remote for real and who's flexible for real because all the cultural norms around doing it just because everyone else is doing it or before pandemic reasons are going to wash away. And at the end of the year, it'll be like whoever's still 100% remote is for real. And, mm. and that might come with doing it better, like leaning in, like I talked about before. And then I think the last trend, and this will be the most disruptive, but it is, it's about the work, but it's orthogonal to what we normally talk about on this show, is I think it'll be the year of AI augmented work product. I think we've seen it start here in November, December with chat GPT basically breaking the internet. I heard a rumor that they're doing like $3 million a day in server costs just to keep up mm -hmm. with the the demand on that thing. I think that what we're going to find out is that most jobs can be augmented by this technology from design to photography to video to writing to editing to social media marketing. I mean, you name it. And that will fold itself back in on the drive for leanness and for having smaller, more effective teams. So I think that will show up in, in a really meaningful way in the year ahead. And you put those four things together and shake them up. I think you'll see like smaller, more focused, more committed remote teams that are enabled by the end of the year. And I think for the teams that got stuck on one of those issues or that didn't commit or that couldn't get their shit together or that really retreated to regressive ways of working, they are going to be just kind of bloated and dysfunctional. I think you're going to see like real potentially even like failure of bigger systems that you don't mm -hmm. expect. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? What's on the menu that we missed? What's on the dessert mm. course? I mean, both of you talked about things that I would have said, honestly. I guess the only thing I would add is that, which is sort of a, a two a two-pronged argument. I think that the combination of 
worker dissatisfaction generally, tech debt broadly, and system inflexibility generally will lead to more situations like what we just saw with Southwest. Mm, like I mm-hmm, like people mm-hmm. are talking about the Southwest meltdown over the holidays like it was a black swan event and it was not. It was a great mm-hmm. elephant event and there are 50 more of them stomping around that people are largely waiting for the one additional vector to crumble <laughs> an organization. I just think we're going to see more of that this year generally, whether that shakes out in the demise of certain organizations or significant shifts in terms of how companies come to market, TBD. But I do think that there will be more of that. And I think there will be less like ability to just band-aid what are existential flaws in foundations of companies that are humongous and really, really complex. And I agree with you completely, Aaron. I'm like obsessed with AI. It's all that is talked about basically at this point in my home. Um, (laughs) And I feel like we are only just at the very most nascent part of what it could be. But the fact that as someone who is basically just like a knowledge worker and a professional thinker, I talk to chat GPT all day long, like it's my little buddy sitting next to me, is I think a signal that if someone like me is already that reliant on a tool that is that young and someone who is like an engineer, I don't know if you saw the Twitter thread that was posted in Slack today, like of of an engineer using chat GPT over the holidays to do his work differently, like it it just has such amazingly broad application that I think that is going to be a really interesting moment. And then the only other thing that I was thinking about as I read this question is, I do wonder if as confidence in large systems continues to degrade, which is something that we're seeing in terms of our political systems and our educational systems and our healthcare systems and et cetera. Um, I wonder what that means in terms of our orientation really toward the unit of work being the team. Because that's like a belief that we have long held is that that is the unit of work that matters the most and that the organizational membrane around tons of teams is just kind of like a construct that is mostly legal and financial in nature. I think that as there is more and more grounding in like the team is the thing, I think that will have real interaction with large crumbling systems that will yeah. that will change things. And what I hope it changes is things like making benefits more broadly available, really revisiting UBI in more places, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I think that as systems confidence diminishes, team confidence will become more important than it has been historically. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. super interesting. I think that one thing that you've already touched on is just the tension between this movement of employees not being more of a voice, employees demanding that they're treated as humans, and then there's economic uncertainty ahead of us. Mm. And what we see from the data is that talent remains top of mind for CEOs. Like we're still experiencing a labor shortage. And I think that those who lean into the change and embrace this new way of working amidst the uncertainty, they're the ones who are going to end up winning. And it comes to your point. Um, to Rodney versus those who want to just revert back to how things were and how they weathered the last storm in their career. But I think that that's the elephant in the room oftentimes in these conversations where people are saying, well, once the economy goes bad, people are not going to have choice anymore. And I would actually beg to differ there. I hope you're right. (laughs) I I sure hope so as well. I really do. Because I have that same, like, you know, because of what we all do for a living, 
when I read like economic reports and watch what's happening in the markets, that is my greatest paranoia is that the pressure of a looming recession does have more folks reverting to more constraint, more top-down, more extractive behavior. And so to hear you say you're hopeful that actually it's the opposite of that, I'm just going to lean into that, Sheila, and just take your word for it because it's going to help me sleep at night. Yeah. I mean, I think we what we've seen over the last two years or three right now, it's been really hard for many groups, but we've also seen better relationships with coworkers and mm. and um, but a higher sense of belonging among employees of color when people have more choice in how they work. And what I worry about is, we talked about this the last time we chatted, is, is something called proximity bias. I do worry that many leaders will say, if you're not in the office every single day, if you're not responding to my messages immediately, you're not working as hard as, I, as I'd like. And that's going to reverse a lot of the gains that we've seen over, yeah. over the last few years. And so I, I'm really like putting in my... My positive thinking when it comes to how leaders need to lead, more diverse workforces, as we all know, are more productive, they are more innovative. And and I'm hoping that leaders will lean into that rather than saying, hey, things are getting scary. Let's go back to how it all used to be. I think that's going to be really regressive for many groups and overall work as a whole. So on that note, I would be really curious, Sheila, to hear from you. What are some of the experiments that you would love to see organizations trying in the coming year? You know, the word intention has come up a lot in this conversation today. And uh, there's a lot of opportunity in terms of experiments that leaders can run. The first is empowering their managers to do what works best for their specific rather than focusing on their top down policy. You know, what we saw in 2022 is that work is not one size fits all. And these top down policies, they encountered a lot of resistance. So encouraging um, leaders and managers to figure out what works best for their teams. Try a team level agreement. We've talked a lot about team level agreements um, between the three of us uh, around like, hey, like, what are your core team working hours? How are you going to discuss and debate specific topics? And even what's the role of the meeting within your organization? So that's one area that I'd love to see further investment in. I'd say the second thing is even just measuring outcomes. Mm. A story that I tell a lot is like my first performance review in my career, I um, was lauded for always being on my BlackBerry and responding to emails at midnight. Mm. And I think this past year has really given us an opportunity to think about productivity and what it really means. And in the past, traditional norms were saying productivity is the person who's the first and the last to leave, the one who responds to my email or my Slack message within 30 seconds. And now it's an opportunity for us to say, all right, what are the outcomes and the results that this person's accountable for? And how are they measuring against that? And I think another experiment is even just like, how do you focus on fewer, bigger things? It comes back to the point that Aaron made, I believe, where it's like, all right, you're not going to be able to do all the things. You need to work more efficiently. What are the initiatives that teams can produce in order to meet their results? But they don't have to necessarily do everything. They can do fewer, bigger things more effectively. So I think that's another experiment, another mindset. I think many leaders are going to have to embrace this kind of... I think that is a pretty good place to draw things to a close because it sets up the challenge for the year for everyone, which is to like lean into the discomfort and the awareness and the awakenings of 2022, but with acceptance of the fact that energy is limited and that we're going to need to like be choosy and be pretty constructive and pretty disciplined about what we try in 2023. Sheila, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work in case they missed the update last time? 
Yes. So uh, you can learn more about my work at Future Forum. You can find this on Twitter as well as on LinkedIn. You can also check out a book I co-wrote with my Future Forum co-founders. It's called How the Future Works. And it's all about the ways in which you and your organizations can embrace this new way of working and embrace flexibility, not just in where you work, but also when you work. And you can always reach out to me directly on LinkedIn as well. So I look forward to hearing from you. Awesome. Sheila, thanks so much for coming back. Thanks for having me. It's always so much fun chatting with both of you. A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good in this new year. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. Get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. So many of you are doing that now, and it is super fun. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. <laughs>